Wait, I'm so non-binary. Like, I've Swiffered my floor like four or five times and my socks were still black. And I kept thinking of that tweet. Like, I don't care if you're non-binary. Why'd your floor makes my socks black? Would you consider yourself Ye's muse? Yeah, a little. Maybe. Dear President Vladimir Putin, I'm so sorry that I was not your mother. I have the best advice for women in business. Get your fucking ass up and work. I mean, I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote on Kajab. Right. Ukraine is a submissive bottom. Russia is a dumb top. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. So then, a group of besties called NATO. Dear President Vladimir Putin. I am Che Ukraine. Get your fucking ass up and work. On Kajab. Right. On Kajab. Right. On Kajab. Right. Anything important to to kick off with after um, our hiatus? Is there an update? I don't think so. I forget what we talk about every podcast. I did kind of want to get into the emotional labor part first. Yes, I mean, I okay. I I feel like we could talk so much about this um, Twitter thread. I I wonder if I can like make a devil's advocate argument for this person. Oh, I actually, I can to a degree too, but I think you should, I think you should. I know. Well, like that, honestly, like defending this person is more controversial within like our circles and like this, the Twitter spheres that like we normally engage with. Then exactly. Like jump on and attack them, you know? And that's honestly something that I kind of wanted to talk about too, is just sort of like the internet dog pile ruining fun like we can't just like you can't just bully people on the internet anymore like back in the days of um what was it called like ask fm yeah you know you can't do like good old-fashioned like one-on-one emotional terrorizing now if you like bully someone on a platform there's like a million other people doing it too and then it's horrible because when you when it's just (laughs) one-on-one Well, yeah, and it's like, I don't know, back in the day, I mean, I guess that was also emotionally damaging, but like this level of dogpiling, I really think is like so psychologically detrimental to people. Like I might, if I was Twitter main character of the day, I think I might kill myself. Yeah, no, I mean, to be, <laughs> to clarify, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm joking that about that like cyberbullying is good if it's just one-on-one. I don't actually believe that. But um, as someone who, like, not to brag, but I did get hate mail on Tumblr back in the day. And it gave me main character syndrome in, like, kind of a good way. But it was also kind of depressing. And in retrospect, some of the messages I received were kind of fucked up. And Do you think it was character building a little bit or ultimately just, like, damaging? No, I mean, I just, I I didn't really care. I mean, I liked it because it, like, gave me, because I'd, like, tried to figure out, because it was somebody I knew in real life. I, like, went so far as to, like, track down this person's IP address and, like, do a bunch of research and try to figure out who it was. But apparently, if you all are connected to, like, the same Wi-Fi network or something, you all have the same IP. And I just tracked it to my boarding school. So it was, like, someone I went to school with who had the same IP address as me. So I couldn't really figure out who it was. But anyways, it was a fun project. It didn't really hurt my feelings, though. But it, like, definitely should have, I guess is my point. Like, in retrospect, I'm, like, kind of concerning that that didn't bother me more. But I was already kind of going through a lot. So an anonymous person messaging me on Tumblr, like, really wasn't going to be the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. It's like, you would have to try a lot harder than that. Well, one-on-one bullying to me is also kind of an ego boost because it's, like, this person is, like talking and thinking about you like you're taking up real estate in their brain should we get into this specific like so for those who haven't seen the twitter main character of the day from like last week it was this person named heron who is it looks like they're an adjunct professor at a law school and they're also a writer been published in like teen vogue bitch media i think Quick, quick detour is that I do think when people have like an at sign in their bio at like a media outlet, like people automatically think that they like have power and like deserve to be torn down when the fact is, is that like somebody who's like occasionally freelance for like Teen Vogue and Bitch Media, like isn't really part of the media class, like the the, the blue check class, so to speak. Um, they're just, they're just a random person. But yeah, so this person tweeted, holy shit, parenting an 18 year old is terrifying and difficult. They can make decisions, question mark, question mark, question mark, 
that are bad question mark question mark question mark and I can only say dude that is a very bad decision okay so then that's fine whatever then they like just keep going kind of talking just like complaining about their 18 year old son and then finally they're like I also washed the 11 year old's hair tonight we're doing the curly girl lifestyle and then in all caps, the amount of emotional labor I've performed in the past two hours, holy fuck. And then the next one is, how do I tell the 18-year-old that using me as a therapist and a crisis counselor isn't healthy for either of us? He has no consistently supportive adult voices in his life except ours. Um, I think lesson one from this, though, is like people shouldn't, like, I'm sorry, whenever anybody tweets about parenting, it's like automatically inviting a dog pile. Like, I parenting is such a, like touchy subject all the time it's like the like people get so emotional about and the thing is like by by that tweet it seemed like they were sincerely asking for advice like what do I say to an 18 year old like that is relying on me for emotional support which like in theory that would be the purpose of adopting is that you're their emotional support system or at least to a degree but it's like you can just tell them that you can tell them that you're not a good support system emotionally for, you know, whatever, like the particular issue that they're struggling with is and get them a therapist. Like, I don't oh, know. Yeah, that's that's the other context. They adopted. These are adopted kids. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But like, what could Twitter offer you? What advice could Twitter offer you that like would be helpful to you in theory? Like, I'm really just trying to figure out the thought process behind why they posted this thread. I mean, like, I think they, like, posted it looking for other parents to be, like, oh, I totally relate to this. And, you know, maybe, like, one of the things on the internet that invites a cringe response from the public or, like, invites a dogpiling is when somebody, like, posts something that think they think will be relatable and then other people are, like, this is not relatable. Like, we'll, like this is not relatable to most people, actually. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of the people that I saw criticizing them was, like, were childless millennials which is why i'm like this was so not their target audience yeah like if anything posted in like a parenting of adopted children facebook group facebook is probably oh there's a facebook group for everything and moms love that shit but okay on top of that it's obviously weird to be like this idea that like they're like i'm not your therapist that's not healthy how do i tell them that using me as a therapist isn't healthy and it's like it's, it's using the same language that we use in like romantic relationships or friendships where it's like, I don't want this person to use me as a therapist, but like once you're a parent, that paradigm like really shifts. And like, I don't, okay. Well, I guess we should just get into the emotional labor part where they're like the amount of emotional labor I've performed in the past two hours. Holy, because the thing is, is they're talking about emotional labor and just the sense of washing the 11 year old's hair. That's like, what are you talking about? I'm also like the lack of context also leaves me with a lot of questions obviously because I'm like what does it mean to treat someone like a therapist like are you just venting your problems or are you actually trying to resolve some type of internal conflict or like heal from something that maybe somebody's advice or like listening to your problems could not give you you know because yeah. It's very possible that this person does need, I, I don't know, maybe that's irrelevant. It's, yeah, it's the classic, like, internet doesn't afford nuance. But I think this person, like, quickly became kind of emblematic of, like, the transactional mode that we have started to approach relationships. And, like, you know, the whole idea of emotional labor being co-opted from this term that was used to describe the actual, like, type of, emo- like, management of one's emotions that you have to overwhelmingly women have to engage in in service jobs originally coined in the context of like flight attendants who are in this like sexualized role and like their value to the airline is literally their like appearances um back in the day when like flight attendants were overwhelmingly female which I guess they still are but originally coined as a sociological term about like it's part of work it's tied to actual Though, like, obviously the domestic sphere is still work and we can get into, like, how domestic labor is devalued, but it's still not emotional labor. And I think it's such a buzzword that it became easy to dogpile on. But then it's also just, like, it is part of the way when they then follow that up with saying, like, how do I tell the 18-year-old that using me as a therapist isn't healthy? 
it like does feel like it's part of that greater trend of like relationships becoming super transactional. And it was interesting because I was listening to an audiobook uh recently by this by the economist David Graeber who like wrote this kind of iconic book called debt and it goes into like the history of debt but like he talks about like all sorts of economic systems and like the history of economics but he was talking about how in like societies like there's this there's a big idea of reciprocity sort of like you know if someone gives you something you feel like the need to repay them in some way at some point um, or how like a lot of economic theory supposes that like all human relationships are transactional um, because of like capital, like it's part of the capitalist system, like everything's a transaction or can be reduced to that. But how like that theory is like not applicable in a lot of instances. And one of them is um, parenting because you're never supposed to, there's no like reciprocity in a parent-child relationship. And like he uses this example of this like father who like writes a, letter to his son like outlining like all the things that he owed him and like all the ways his son was in debt to him and how that like completely goes against like the bond of like parenthood so I was listening to that around the same time as this thread and kind of like tying that like on the one level it's like part of this like oh human relations as transactional trend that we're seeing with like this emotional labor being co-opted but also like the reason that I think people got so mad about this specifically and like it wasn't just the same dog pile as a person being like my friend wants so much emotional labor for me like ever since her boyfriend broke up with her like I think this like especially struck a nerve because parental relationships are built on non not being transactional or reciprocal it's like so one-sided and like that's sort of how it's supposed to be like you can never repay your parent that's kind of the whole point that makes sorry that was really rambling (laughs) no no yeah I agree I was thinking of like domestic work as work and how like there are certain circumstances in which like one or a parent would have to perform enthusiasm when they're overworked and not paid at all for parenting and so I don't know if that would be classified as emotional labor but it's definitely not like you said, like this is sort of part of the, this is part of what you sign up for when you decide to become a parent. Even if it is emotional labor, like that's, like you can call it what you want. If you're exhausted, but you feel like you need to perform this job, it's like. I didn't understand that fully before, but I get what you're saying. Like if we're saying that like domestic labor is a valid form of labor, it's only been devalued as a form of labor because it's usually performed by women and like the devaluing of the domestic sphere if you're saying that like if we do view that as like a type of labor that generates value then can then like emotional labor should be could actually apply but I think the difference is like emotional labor has to be performed with people you don't know I think yeah like I don't think it works with family because it's not um and meaningfully like you don't have control over the environment Whereas if you're like leading a household, ostensibly you do. I want to read the first reply to this. Um, Heron's reply, like they reply, the first part of the thread is uh, one out of 10 do not recommend parenting a bitter young adult coming to true realization about the horrors of capitalism. Apparently they said you could pick up another few shifts. And then the kid said, I'd rather do stupid fucking thing than work eight more hours a week with those idiots and then they responded bro bad news about adulthood yeah i mean that's just clearly an immature way to respond to a child a bitter young adult coming to true realization about the horrors of capitalism i think that's also part of it is it's like imagine if you i mean and i mean i think we all have even been in those situations where we've complained about our parents to our parents about something and they've been like yeah, well, get over it. Like, bad news, that's just how life is. And it's like, that's not what you're looking for in those moments. You're just looking for emotional support. You're not looking, you don't need to get condescended to in those moments. Yeah, no, I can definitely relate to this situation, like, from the kid's point of view. Like, I think you're right. You really just want someone to be like, I'm really sorry, that that does suck. But yeah. then this person not only like responded really patronizingly, but they also tweeted about it to a bunch of people. 
And that's what I think about a lot with like parents online is it's like, do these kids see? But people do it all the time. And this this person probably thinks that they're engaging in the same trend of like people being like, my five-year-old looked at me and said, mommy, Biden is a lot like Superman, isn't he? And then it was like, don't kids just say the darndest thing? Like all those fake liberal tweets are like, my kids started crying today because they overheard someone on the subway saying they didn't like vaccines. It's like, no, that's your, that didn't happen. That's my favorite genre but tweet. It's such a good genre of tweet. And it's like, those are harmless, like, because they're not talking shit about their child. And I think this person probably thought that they were engaging in that same type of like, oh, we post the darndest things that our kids say. And it's like, no, well, it's different if you're complaining about it. Yeah. Also, this kid is a stupid fucking old. bitch kid. <laughs> this kid is 18 years old. Yeah, that's also this poor guy. No. And also they're, they're like, they can make decisions that are bad. And it's like, Yeah. An 18-year-old kid can make a lot of decisions that are bad. What are you talking yeah. about? I, it's like, sad. why are we surprised about this? And I can only say, dude, that is a very bad decision. No, you can actually give advice like a parent would. Like good advice. Right. Yeah, and I mean they adopted this, they adopted the 18-year-old like later. He's so he was the older child of the other, the younger girl, and they adopted him later. And so it's different when you like come into parenthood of an older child suddenly and don't like aren't there for that growth process but they also then tweeted at the very end i welcome criticism of my parenting gonna mute and ride this out thank you bye like they didn't welcome any criticism they solely doubled down and while i think it was fair i think their statement where they were like y'all are wrong about my life stop jumping to conclusions i think that was fair it's honestly sad that they had to even say some of the stuff that they had to say but they didn't welcome criticism of their parenting and I mean it's hard to accept criticism when you're experiencing a dog pile but um that's also yeah, kind of and funny also, thing like, is they just double down so bad I think it's more difficult to like you said filter out all the people telling them to kill themselves yeah which is honestly the such a crazy internet phenomenon to me that people tell people to kill themselves it's so it is so bizarre to me that people like do that and that that's sort of the most common way that people attack people it's kind of mind-boggling to me um, but i do want to get into the one other the one other thing they said which is that they said i'm conscious of the femme labor paradigm it's reinforcing that i'm the parent confidant mm-hmm. and the first thing i have to say about that is this person needs to log off because you should not be talking about really simple human interactions in your life with phrases like femme labor paradigm like <laughs> You just need to, you just need to put it, you you know, as the classic proverb goes, go touch some grass. Yeah. They're experiencing brain damage, which makes me feel even worse for them. And I also wanted to point out that their, like their cover photo on Twitter is a PowerPoint that says bisexuality. I I don't know. Did they give a presentation on bisexuality? I hope so. Oh, it wait. Oh, wait. There like is a person in it. It might be them. It looks like There's a it. person at a podium. I don't think that that's ironic. God, that rocks. Yeah. That's awesome. I actually kind of want to read their things they've written in, like, Teen Vogue. Oh, okay. Honestly, good for them on some of this work that they're doing. So one of, it says on their website, yeah, it says that they are personal, cultural, and critical analyses of bisexuality queerness, LGBTQ policy, hashtag me too and beyond have appeared in a slew of magazines. Uh, it, it does depress me that somebody who is writing on bisexuality and queerness and is in a public facing role is like, so their, their full-time job is they research anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. This person that's very educated and speaks on behalf of queer issues very frequently, the fact that they're still using the word femme in 2022 and not in the context of like a femme lesbian or like femme gender presentation context but in terms of an identity context is like kind of disheartening because what they're really saying in this sentence is like i'm conscious of the labor paradigm where women the mother is the confidant but because this person's on binary they're using the phrase femme but like femme I used to use that term back in like 2016 when people first started using it. But then truly, like when you think about it for more than like a minute and unpack it, 
in terms of what it's actually nodding to structurally as an identity category. Again, not in the term, like the sense of gender presentation, but in terms of like a discrete identity category that like suffers oppression or like has X, Y, and Z attributes. It completely makes no fucking sense because women basically it's saying like women and then basically afab non-binary people which is like not a good political category and is like actually erasing non-binary people yeah or trans women which just women i guess yeah you're yeah but um but it's crazy because like a butch because under the way that femme is conceptualized like a butch lesbian like a cisgender butch lesbian under the conception of femme they are included like a butch lesbian would be included in femme but a butch lesbian would not identify as femme and then it's like wait you just reminded me of a tiktok where this girl was wearing like a skirt with a flannel and the caption was serving femme butch realness that's like that's so true and then i've also heard people be like well no it's also applies to like anybody who identifies with the term femme so like anyone who feels feminine so like a feminine gay man could be like falling under femme something like that and it's like comes back to the idea the um ill-conceived idea that you see sometimes in queer spaces which is that like femininity in and of itself is like structurally oppressed it's what it's saying the term femme is like anybody who's feminine if it's like brought into that sense anyone who's feminine and or like a woman who doesn't have to be feminine doesn't make sense but that's what it's like saying it's saying that people are oppressed on the basis of their like femininity or perceived femininity and I think one of the good critiques of that also is that like femininity isn't a monolith and like there's a lot of ways that white women's femininity specifically is like weaponized as a tool of white supremacy where like historically black women are masculinized and viewed as less feminine and like like femininity is viewed as this aspirational thing that's afforded to certain groups of people and not others and like white women tears white femininity and like purity and i'm so delicate like demonizes black men and black women and just like and so like this idea that femininity is this like discrete category of identity or oppression i'm just so tired of it it's like i feel like we've just should be past that in 2022 and so the fact that this person is like talking about a femme labor paradigm it's like, what are you, are you talking about a feminine labor parent? Like, what are you saying? That's not even a thing. Like, I think they're referring to <laughs> like the mother gender role or like the tradition. So just say mother. Yeah. Like, even if they're not, even if they don't identify as a woman, like if they feel that they're, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the other thing I think is interesting is they say, um, so in their apology statement or whatever, where you mentioned that they kind of double down, they say, the 18-year-old needs to talk to a professional about the horrors of capitalism and CPS and growing up as a young man in America right now. Um, We frequently talk about his sadness, his anger, his hopes, and his dreams, but I'm not trained in cognitive or dialectical behavioral therapy, which I don't really know why you would need (laughs) to be trained in cognitive behavioral therapy to talk about someone's hopes and dreams, but I I I do notice how it's like, okay, so... What he really needs is resources right now. So you mentioned like, well, how do I tell him to just get a therapist? And that's just really not what – if I needed a therapist at 18 or like as a teenager, my parents would like actually do the work to help me find one because like that is what a parent does. Yeah, why are they tweeting? He needs a therapist. Bitch, that's your job. (laughs) Go get him one. What are you doing? To get a therapist. It's like, okay, you're not trained in these areas. Like you can't help him heal from trauma or like whatever it is. Like again, like the horrors of capitalism, I don't really see why why he would need a therapist for that cognitive behavioral therapy but if that's what you think he needs then like why as a parent are you not helping to provide that I don't know like maybe this person doesn't have the resources to but again like that is your job that's like the very baseline I think that really was the crazy part because if they were tweeting like help how do I help my son process the trauma of adoption and like not having a relationship with his birth parents or like having x y and z like 
experiences that I don't relate to and like don't have the tools to deal with. Like, does anybody have any resources? That would be a little bit of a different story. But instead, they were like, yeah, this person kind of going through the absolutely completely normal transitional phase of entering young adulthood. How do I outsource supporting them to someone else who is a professional? And granted, okay, maybe they don't feel like they have the tools. And honestly, maybe if more parents recognize when they don't have the tools to support someone and like didn't try to do it all on themselves and recognize that professionals can be helpful, maybe that would, you know, that's a good thing. But it's also just like, why, like, I, I do, like, I, I think your point is right. Like they should just find them someone and not be tweeting about it. But it's also, I do think this like liberal wave um, of outsourcing everything to therapy immediately is also only going to support systems of power at the end of the day too. Like there's so few therapists. I mean, and also the other thing is a lot of therapists are bad. And I feel like there's such a push of like, go to therapy, drink water, babe, do your skincare routine and um, like do CBT don't forget to take your meds and it's like yeah but also a lot of therapists are bad (laughs) it's a trial and error process to get to it and it's not just like a one-size-fits-all yeah and it sort of destabilizes the family unit because it's like what we by substituting like you said a therapist for like people like close relationships who should be providing emotional support and it seems like I mean, I can't speak to like being in the foster system, but it seems like the horrors of capitalism, your hopes and your dreams, like that is something that you should be able to talk to a parent about a lot unless yeah. that person is doesn't wish to be a parent to you, which it seems like that's just really the case. Well, yeah. And they also say he has no consistently supportive adult voices in his life except ours. And it's like, that's the case for most 18, like- it's kind of rare and I think that's I think that's a problem of our sort of individualistic society where we don't really have kind of community it's we we've moved away from this model where like a community raises a child or like a child has a variety of adults in their lives like an an aunt an uncle you know a, a you, all, you know all sorts of family as the family has sort of the family unit has shifted. I mean, growing up, I only had one consistently supportive adult voice in my life. If even, it's not common for every child. And like, maybe they should, but this, but saying that this is like this really unique situation to you and I, oh God, I need to get my kid a therapist so he has another adult to talk to. It's like, there's also other types of adults that can provide that support again. Like, yeah. God, I wish I knew a better way to suggest the 18-year-old access a therapist. It's like that's not that's not really the issue. Like they probably need access to like – they probably first of all need financial support because why would they be able to just have a therapist? A lot of people commented like, oh, people deliberately misread what you were saying to the OP. And I like of all bad faith readings, I like don't think this is one of them. They made it pretty clear what they were saying and I think like I don't think the dog pile was warranted but I do I don't think people were reading it in bad faith I think they were like manipulating emotional labor to sort of like like you were saying outsource their difficulty with parenting onto other people for sure and I mean I do think people tend to read most things on the internet in bad faith but I do think the critiques were valid as well But I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm probably guilty of it as soon as I see someone use the word emotional labor, my like hackles are immediately raised and I'm on the prowl to (laughs) see what's wrong with them usually because I never see it used well or correctly anymore. You know what an actual emotional labor is also like is like service workers dealing with people not wanting to wear their masks and like having to deal with really unstable customers and like keep a like happy face and like be really polite that's emotional labor not washing your child's hair i was assigned to write a listicle for los angeles magazine 
about the houses that Ellen DeGeneres has flipped. They just wanted like a one page little spread for the print issue. And I did it. And in the process, I like did a lot of research and she honestly buys some really incredible homes. Some are like tacky, like over the top, excessive, but all sorts of like different modernist designers, like architects, like built stuff in LA in like the mid-century. Um, and Ellen buys a lot of them. Does she ruin the funny them? funny thing, I don't really know. She only lives in them for like seven months and then sells them and moves. It's it's really bizarre. Doing research for that, she's like truly the most manic person alive because she was literally like, people think I flip houses, but I don't flip houses. I just buy them, stage massive renovations, live in them for two months, get bored, and then sell them. And it's like this woman like claims to like truly move literally every like seven months to 15 months or something and just like move between all these different mansions in Los Angeles just because she like gets bored and like wants a new architectural style. So she had like a Tuscan villa, like an English Tudor cottage, like a Malibu beach house, a Shangri-La. Like it's weird because she could just have like own all of them. Right? She doesn't really like, have probably, many Yeah. Although these are like mul- double digit millions. So like yeah. 10, 15, 20 million dollar homes. And I don't really know if one person can own like 20, 15 million dollar homes at that. Like, I don't think she's that rich. But yeah. Also, like, the reason I want to have money is so I could just find a home that I love and never have to move again for the rest of my life because it's so stressful and awful. I mean, I guess it's different if you're Ellen DeGeneres. Like, you don't have to lift a finger, but... Well, exactly. Yeah, I can't like, you just pay. You just pay someone to do it for you. But then it's still, like... I feel like I'm such a control freak. And I feel like Ellen probably is, too. That, like, the idea... Even the idea of, like, having the money to pay somebody to just, like, pack up all my life and then unpack it again. That doesn't sound particularly appealing to me. Do you think Although Ellen I do sex toys? to have movers. I don't, I don't know if I want to think about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't really want to either, but I'm like, that would be uncomfortable if you had to pack up Ellen's house and, like, you found all of her, like, whips and chains. Yeah, no, that would be – I mean, the person would definitely have to sign an NDA. Like, they would, like, literally yeah. be murdered. Like, the DeGeneres family would, like, put out a hit on them if they, <laughs> like, divulged that information. The one more thing I'll say about my Ellen DeGeneres house flipping listicle for Los Angeles Magazine – is that I think it was super random because like I was an intern for them and then I was doing some freelance stuff, but they asked me to write that piece randomly. And and I think it was just because my theory is the reason that they had me do it was because I had previously written a listicle for them about like pride events in LA and like also wrote an article for them about like the history of lesbian bars in Los Angeles and like the decline of lesbian bars in Los Angeles. And I think they were like, oh, this person is a dyke. Um, we're going to give them this article on Ellen DeGeneres (laughs) to write. Like, they will like this. This will be good. Does Ellen go to Pride? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm going to look it up. I keep wanting to they them Ellen. I don't know why. I know. Me too. Probably could. (laughs) 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 No, because you know what? It makes me think of, um, fuck, what's that person's name? The comedian? Not Chay real. Diaz? Yeah. It's giving, like, Ellen kind of gives cha- white Chadias. Wait, oh my God. This is so good. When I was in the car with my boyfriend's mom, when I met her for the first time, she was in the car and she was like asking us if we'd seen the new Sex in the City season. And we were like, no. And she was like, oh, it's so good. You have to watch it. Like, they tackle a lot of issues that they that they didn't tackle before. Like, for example, they tackled, uh, like, what's it called? Like, binary people. And I was like, oh, no, binary people. And and their mom was like, yeah, they had this character. Like, this was, like, this co- comedian who, like, talked a lot about LGBT people. And it was really good. They, like, handled it really well. It was fascinating to me. And I honestly – it was funny because unbeknownst to her saying this in a car with, like, two non-binary people <laughs> and just, like, completely, like, well-meaning. But, but also it was – honestly good to hear because that is what that show that's who that show's for yeah you know i was actually she talking felt about like she learned a lot it kind of unblackpilled me it made me feel like wow maybe this is actually not that bad of a thing yeah i was talking with will about that because i was like for someone who's never heard of a non-binary person before like that's a really simple 
even though Che Diaz sucks or whatever or is like cringe I don't know like it's at at least people that age can like know what it is you know or like have a have like some idea yeah some sort of concept of it so I think that's good also like at my Passover Seder I invited like my boyfriend was there they're non-binary and then like two of my other non-binary friends and during the Seder, my dad, like, gives me and Haley um, the blessing for girls. Like, you're the parent figure or whatever will, like, put their hand on your head and, like, give you a blessing that's, like, may you be, like, all the biblical women names, I guess. Like, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, you know. Yeah. Um, but, like, in Hebrew. And, like, the the version for boys is, like, may you be, like – Adam or I don't know whatever all the all the biblical men and then when he finished doing that he sits down and he's like and you know I was just reading that they have one for non-binary people and it's really sweet so um that's so sweet that is honestly such a touching heartwarming story that um has a completely different vibe of this thing I'm about to read real quick, which is I Googled Ellen DeGeneres Los Angeles Pride just to see if she's been. And I I don't know why the first thing that popped up has nothing to do, but it says Ellen DeGeneres is under fire for admitting to driving wife Portia de Rossi to the hospital while under the influence. (laughs) Wait, did (laughs) Ellen run over someone? Or no, it was Caitlyn Jenner. Wait, Ellen Jenner did not run over Caitlyn Jenner. No, Caitlyn Jenner ran over someone, like some pedestrian. Oh, probably. She's Am like I wrong? I don't know. Yeah. But I, oh, okay. Ellen was high. That's, That's what she that, Why was she pulled over, first of all? No, I don't know if she was pulled over. I think she just, like, it looks like she, like, said it. It looks like she admitted to it on an episode of Jimmy Kimmel. The other thing that popped up, though, that was funny was the Los Angeles LGBT Center has a Facebook post from 2017 that says, thank you, Ellen DeGeneres, for reminding us that there is good in the world. What a crazy turn of events. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's an article that says, did Caitlyn Jenner kill someone? (laughs) Did Caitlyn Jenner accidentally kill someone? Um, I did maybe want to talk about, see, okay, I didn't ask this person if I could like talk about this on the podcast but I don't have to use her name so one of my girlfriends got attacked in New York this weekend and she like put out this um ISO post being like this is his face I don't know like if anyone if anyone knows who this is like I'd love to know his full name or whatever and someone leaked his full name the guy's name is should I say his name I don't know if I should give out too much information because I don't know I think I feel like we can just say that this guy did a feminist revenge film starring Ezra Miller. Starring Ezra Miller, (laughs) Vanessa Hudgens, like such an evil crew, like a nightmare blunt rotation. Ezra Miller, (laughs) this guy, Vanessa Hudgens, and then who there was like another cast member that was like really weird to me. Um, I don't even know. Whatever. But it doesn't 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 Ezra Miller doesn't he have like assault allegations himself? Yeah, he or, sorry, choked a woman out. Or, or sorry, ah, they choked a woman. Ezra Miller, they choked a woman out. <laughs> um, to the ground. Actually, I'm pretty sure allegedly, really except for not allegedly because I think it was caught on video. But I'll just say allegedly. And then like now they're going around Hawaii, just like terrorizing locals. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. Well, I like I tried to do a deep dive on the guy who assaulted our friend because I was like, the film's not good. It got awful reviews. It was an absolute flop. So, I mean, of course, it was like, like you said, it was a feminist revenge film, almost too on the nose in terms of like the whole movie was about how like a group of girls got together and like teamed up against their violent aggressors like it was specifically about violence towards women and like women fighting against it so really on the nose he like punched our friend's face multiple times um and like really badly injured her but I was trying to figure out like how did he make this movie in the first place like what are his connections 
and I couldn't find anything on him. Was it his first film? Like, yeah, it was his first feature. Yeah. No, that's what I was thinking too. It's his first feature length film and he had Vanessa Hudgens, which like, you know, she's kind of a flop, so it's not really that big of an accomplishment, but it is also like, how did you, you know, but like he's been making short films with Ezra Miller for a while. So I guess I'm assuming they just like run in the same like, you know, like Brooklyn dickhead, like, you know, filmmaker artist circles, but like even the synopsis of the film looked really bad um it was sort of like all the letterbox fuck he's on private now i was gonna go to his instagram because i'm pretty sure he had a post on his instagram too that was about like supporting trans women that was like donate here to this like trans like supporting trans women fund or something a while back Um, whoa all of his posts like recently were about like oh this film supports like diverse women and i got like different clips from the interview of where he's like with Vanessa Hudgens, like answering questions about the film. And he says like, you know, women of color are like, you know, whatever time's more likely to be assaulted. He was sort of like, he appeared to be just like pulling statistics out of his ass to like make his film seem important. Also the the movie's called asking for it, which is weird. Cause oh it's like, God. not really as like a white man. It's like not your, thing to reclaim like that is extremely like aggressive to me and like in general like he he continues like throughout the interview and just like in general throughout his posts like he has this sort of tone of being like oh like I'm aware that I'm like a cis straight white man like making this movie about female empowerment or whatever and it's like do you really understand the implications of it because I don't think you do it's like I mean obviously he doesn't because of what he's done in his like personal life but also even before that i don't think it was very clear like prefacing that doesn't make it really excusable like it doesn't absolve you of like anything really and it's like yeah acknowledging it doesn't really mean that you fully understand the implications of it because if you yeah. did you wouldn't be making the movie to begin with yeah I don't know. I go, like, to a certain extent, I don't like the... I don't like when people will take it to the extreme and be like, you can only make movies about, like, identity categories or experiences that you've you've been a part of. Because I don't think that that is how... Like, I don't think that always makes good art. Like, and also, like, just because somebody's, like, a woman doesn't mean that they're going to make a good feminist revenge flick. Like, I thought Promising Young Woman sucked ass. But that being said, like when stuff like this happens, it's like, oh god, it's just it's just too on the nose. It's so. um, For me, it was like he clearly, and that was what all the letterbox reviews said before the thing even happened. They were all just like, this guy clearly just doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, and like he needs to not make this movie. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it would be. I think the point of it was for him to like he wanted to make a movie that seemed like important in this time you know what I mean like the yeah the sort of like post me too era I think he was thinking what is a way that I could sort of ride this wave (laughs) that's why I think he shouldn't have made it but I don't think that no white man could possibly make a feminist movie right it just felt very co-opting to me and also was essentially the plot of Promising Young Woman, but like a girl boss gang, which is even worse. One other thing I was thinking about, this is not important, but we had talked about frozen yogurt or I talked about frozen yogurt. We talked about frozen yogurt. No, we talked about frozen yogurt on our second episode and you admitted to sometimes partaking in it still yeah actually like, i went to no, the foster's freeze last night you went where to foster's freeze but that's more like soft serve that's off that's like it's similar that's super similar but i saw a tweet yesterday or maybe the day before from this writer who i actually don't know this place that she works at now i don't remember where she used to work but she's got fifty thousand twitter followers in a blue check and is like kind of big on twitter and she had a tweet go viral in uh, 23 hours ago that oh my god it has 50,000 likes now yo okay I'm honestly so mad about this she tweeted I am ready and waiting for the eventual renaissance of the early 2010s frozen yogurt shop viral 50,000 likes let it be known that I called the frozen yogurt 
trend resurgence on episode two of Post Cringe. And I've been living it. Honey, I've been living it. I've been going. And I can't I've been believe doing the people work. are. I cannot believe people are suddenly talking about frozen yogurt. Nobody talked about it for 10 years. And then we talked about it on our podcast. And suddenly there's a viral tweet about it. So yeah, let it be known that Sky revived the frozen yogurt trend. I basically lived it because I've never stopped eating frozen yogurt. <laughs> so uh, stuck both of our dicks. Um. So another thing that's going on in the world is Elon Musk is buying Twitter. Another thing we discussed not that long ago, not Elon Musk buying Twitter, just Elon Musk. I wish I could describe like what Elon Musk looks like to me. Like <laughs> so not a gay supervillain. Not, not a gay I mean, not a gay I guess goblin. he does look like a gay supervillain, but also just like like swollen and stretched out at the same time. Yeah. And no, he has such a swollen face. He does, but it's also like it's, it. It also feels like it every every like year. It just like stretches out one millimeter, and it just gets wider and wider and wider. I saw a photo of him at the Jeffrey Epstein, like a Jeffrey Epstein sponsored dinner from I don't know what year it was, but it must have been a while ago because he looked a lot younger. And it's not the one where he's with Ghislaine. That's like, I keep seeing the Ghislaine Jeffrey Epstein photo. There was like a different one. Wait, is that real? The Ghislaine Je- uh, Elon Musk photo? Yeah. I thought that was a deep fake. I actually don't think it is. Because oh it's. never know. Yeah, no, it's real. But there was a different photo of him at a, like a Jeffrey Epstein dinner where, like, yeah, he just looked a lot younger. And, um, just a photo of him young was like really disturbing also because yeah he still looked fucked up like even as a young person there was something really wrong i saw a tweet today that was like i forget what the original was but someone quote tweeted it and they were like oh so it's okay and it wasn't about elon it was about someone else but it was like oh it's okay to make fun of someone's looks now just if you disagree with their opinion and then someone else responded and it was like yes that's literally how it's always worked on here (laughs) <laughs> like, that is sort of how it has always gone down. It, it is okay. It's okay to make fun of Elon Musk's appearance. Okay, I think the crucial difference between, like, making fun of someone's appearance because you disagree with them, uh, like, when it's not okay versus when it is okay, is, like, if they have the means to afford every possible way to, like, look, dress, and, like, present well. You know what I mean? Like, there's That's no reason really why Elon Musk should be ugly. But That's he honestly is. true, especially when society affords men grace with age more than they do with women. Like, men are allowed to get wrinkly and old and, like, are still considered attractive, like, regardless of their age. But I think per- his personality might be part of it. And also, he has no drip for some reason. Like, he just dresses horribly. Um, I actually yeah. did th- see this like like high fashion Twitter person be like, you know, like someone posted this screenshot of a TikToker being like, oh, what the fuck are they wearing or whatever. And then this high fashion Twitter account was like, the whole point of dragging people's outfits is like under the... When they have a stylist. Under, yeah, like under the assumption that like they have the stylist or like a means to procure any item that they wanted to. Yeah. If they could. Like that's when you can really just like go after them but not just random people online yeah. who are figuring out their style so i think that that is actually so true and that very, same very logic true. applies to elon musk it's like i don't have the ability to get botox every month but he does what are your thoughts on him buying twitter i think like there's no reason for me to be upset if i'm like forced off the website then that's probably better for my mental health <laughs> Yeah, it's weird to me that people are acting like it's like a bunch of people are like back up your Twitter archive now. For what? To show jobs? <laughs> I don't under- I don't know. I mean, do you think it's like what are your thoughts on the free speech thing? Like his free speech thing? Yeah, where he's basically wants to buy it so that there's just sort of like unlimited free speech, like no real like content moderation. Mm, okay, like. I don't know that Twitter will be that different for me because I still have like if he removes algorithms where I'm like recommended content based on what I like, then 
I don't see how it would be that different than how I currently use it. I mean, I see Nazi shit now, so I don't know. Like, maybe he just wants to make it, like, 8chan. I think that's a, I think people are freaking out because they're like, oh, like, anybody, like, Nazis are going to be able to just, like, say whatever they want. And, like, people are going to get harassed more and, like, not get banned. Like, people are basically just like, this is the death of fake info. Like, fake news is going to be all over the place, misinformation, Nazis, slurs trolls like it's just gonna like go to hell and like people are gonna be harassed off the platform and like it's just gonna be like this horrible horrible thing and like trump might get his twitter back first of all we want trump to get his twitter back yeah i don't know i um i've never been on 8chan so i don't know what that would be like but i imagine that if I saw something really di- like I see I see Nazi shit on Twitter now, just like people who are able to work within the constraints and just like mm-hmm. imply horrible things, but not explicitly say them. So and I, I see that like quite often and some people like who are even followed by accounts that I follow, you know, and so it's like or like comedians that I follow. And so that is upsetting to me, but I'm like. I don't know that I would rather just like pretend that those people don't exist. Like, yeah. well, I saw this um, this screenshot of a poll that was like asking people, would you rather have unlimited free speech or like feel safe and welcome? And ultimately it leaned towards people saying I'd rather feel safe and welcome. But I kept thinking like, why are those two necessarily mutually exclusive? Like I feel safe and welcome when I'm able to speak freely. I'm playing devil's advocate, or I guess not devil's advocate, but a certain type of advocate. But like, wouldn't people then say that that's because you're coming from like a place of privilege where like, that's sort of like the conservative argument where it's like, I'm able, if I'm able to speak freely and say whatever I want, even if it's kind of racist or even if it's transphobic, like that's my free speech and that makes me feel safe. To be yeah. able to speak my mind and not be oppressed for yeah. thinking that trans people should be killed. Yeah. Well, I guess I have two answers to that. Like, the first thing is, like, I know that those people do exist and do believe those things. I can't speak to trans people's experiences, obviously. Um, but, like, uh, for example, like, anti-Semitism or whatever. Like, I do see um, – like I'm saying, like, I, I see, like, Nazi accounts posting, like – implications of like you know holocaust jokes or whatever and like actual like not being ironic whatever like something i would consider like in the like and i'm like pretty i can deal with like pretty button pushing things but like there's a certain limit to that and so it's like i do know that those people exist but i don't know that i would feel safe and welcome knowing that they exist but aren't saying it because there's a restriction place you know what I mean like it doesn't it doesn't actually make me feel safe knowing that that they're only not saying it because rules are implicated you know and I and I agree with that like I think that I'm the same way where like I like to know what evil people are saying and thinking and saying to each other in their free time and like, I don't want to be bombarded with that information 24-7, but, like, if I want to seek it out, I want to know what they're saying so that I know how, like, what's out there and how to combat it, like, or, like, how to deconstruct it. And, yeah, I don't, I think that's a good point, like, pretending that those people aren't, because, right, and I, because I also think that right now, like, they've been pushed to the fringes of these other platforms and, like, that's also been able to, for them to feed their, like, conspiracy theory narrative, which is that, like, everyone is out to get them. They're being oppressed and silenced by the ruling class, which is, like, the liberal, like, elite academics, the media. We can't even speak our minds on these platforms. And that feels like that could be feeding more of the rhetoric versus if they were, like, on the platform that everyone else is on 
and then people could just be like, well, no, you're a fucking idiot. Like, shut up. Then it's like you can't really have the same claim to like this unique experience of censorship. I don't know. I think that's a good point that like when they're pushed off to other platforms, it sort of feeds into their victim narrative. I can also see how limiting access to those ideas can sort of like prevent them from spreading yeah you know like prevent radicalization from happening to certain vulnerable individuals and like i know it's like the case of the youtube algorithm too yeah you know like youtube radicalized so many people because it allowed all this content to go unchecked and then they were like oh wait we like actually created something really evil we do actually need regulation in general we probably need government regulation and not corporate but if, but if government's regulating the parameters of, like, what speech is and is unacceptable, I feel like that's going to get into, like, hot Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane that Twitter has the type of political power that it has, and it's also insane that one person can decide to buy it and potentially, like, irreparably shape discourse and debate. And yeah, I was kind of wondering that, too. Like, does he have the power, though? Dude, I was trying to figure that out. I was, like, Googling it, and, like, it seems like he does, although I haven't seen anything explain why him buying it means he can make these decisions. Like, does it mean that he, like, gets to take over the board, like, gets to, like, completely restructure the company? I think it does because he's taking it private. But, I mean, there's still a board. There's still shareholders. Like, there's still people who have a stake, so I'm not entirely sure, and I haven't seen any, like, reporting on it. But I think he does have the power from what I can tell. I do think the reaction right now is like a bit over the top and alarmist because it is all speculation. And it's like we should respond to the issue when the issues present themselves. But I don't think you need an archive for your like Twitter account with 150 followers. I have all my most popular tweets screenshotted. I, I deleted a bunch of my best and most popular tweets back in the day. Did you delete um, by men in a straight relationship? Wait, no. A, wait what is it it's a like, bi woman in a relationship with a, if you're in a bi woman in a relationship with a man it's still a straight relationship unless the guy is under five nine, nine. Queer. Ugh, i love that it's queer. That's so good. <laughs> um no i didn't delete that one i did delete one i had wait, one by those standards was, i'm in a queer relationship you are and i am too <laughs> <laughs> wait i love that okay i feel like there was more stuff we wanted to talk about elon musk the other thing was the Johnny Depp trial. Oh, yeah. Do we care about this? I really can't care. Less. <laughs> I don't really have any thoughts. <laughs> I don't know why people find it so fascinating because it's the most boring trial I've ever seen. I'm like seeing so much of it on Twitter. I think it's obviously just like the celebrity discourse in general and also like brands getting involved. Like, did you see the Too Faced thing? No. So Too Faced, the makeup company, um, posted a TikTok gathering evidence against Amber Heard's claim. So, oh my god. I guess like it's some part of the trial um or like the deposition, I don't know, but at some point her her defense lawyer like she said she carried around this like Milani color correcting concealer palette throughout like the entire of her relationship with Johnny Depp allegedly to or like she claims to like hide up hide bruises from him. And she, like, her defense lawyer pulls out, like, the color-correcting concealer from Milani. And apparently the the palette was released in 2016, but they're divorced. Or the palette was released in 2017, but they got divorced in 2016. So Milani made – sorry, I thought it was Too-Faced, but it was Milani. They made a TikTok – of someone like doing investigative work and like finding out that the Milani palette was released after. And so she was lying or whatever. So they posted that to, this is actually really interesting that they posted, they posted it to a backyard again song. Do you hear this? Yeah. This is so weird. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's really creepy to me that a brand would do that. And then apparently they made another one like where one of the employees was like outside of the courthouse, like wanting to give the lawyers the evidence. I think brands that's I think brands should should not. not. Also, it wasn't like it wasn't a very good defense anyways, you know, like it w- they were basically just saying she carried around like a concealer palette. Weird of them to it's just weird. That's that's honestly I think a lot of online behavior can be uh reduced to people just people are just being weird. <laughs> just people are just, just chill out a little. It's like dystopian to me, but you know what? It's okay. <laughs>